Is a popular popular podcast. Do not be afraid. Welcome to Popular History, a library of Catholic knowledge and insights. As promised, this episode is going to be a bit of a roundup of extra stories and tidbits we have on some of our recent characters from outside the Bible. Let's start with our main man of late, a guy I really didn't think I'd be talking about this much, but we are deacon oriented, so I'm rolling with it. Philip the Deacon. The best extra-biblical tie-in point for Philip is actually in the canonical Bible, where, in an aside, Paul says the following, quote, We reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. End quote. And that's it. Here we have four women with holy powers and no additional info apart from they're the unmarried daughters of one of the first deacons. You aren't going to find many prompts more ripe for fan fiction than that, and the early Christian community ran with it, naming the daughters Hermione, Eutychus, Iraeus, and Charoline, or some other set of names, it's inconsistent, but definitely they got names outside the Bible and went off on adventures. They may have went on to be a source for a source for Eusebius, who can be described as the dominant early church historian, so we'll definitely be revisiting him in time. Philip himself is cited as the proto-deacon among the seven original deacons, the proto part meaning first, kind of like how his colleague Stephen is referred to as the proto-martyr, though I suppose that application is more in terms of chronology than dignity. The title of proto-deacon does have a specific application in the College of Cardinals today. Namely, it's the cardinal who has held the title of cardinal deacon the longest. The proto-deacon is normally the one who gives the announcement, Habemus Papam, we have a pope, when a new pontiff is elected. I didn't come across any death tradition for Philip the deacon, but I did find a site making an unexpectedly compelling case for identifying him with Philip the Apostle. Sure, the apostles set up the deacons to allow themselves to get on with their apostling, but what if he was like an embedded supervisor? It would be a fairly recognizable organizational move today, and it would match with the extra emphasis he receives, not to mention his extra-biblical proto-deacon status. The lack of any apparent tradition regarding the deacon's death is, to me, the most compelling argument. Usually there's something floating around about that. The biggest wrinkle is what we talked about yesterday, with the apostles kind of being needed to sign off on the uh, baptisms of the Sumerians. You know, that uh, discussion of confirmation. Anyways, when a saint dies, and pretty much everyone who believes in saints accepts that Philip the deacon is a saint, well, when a saint dies, it's typical for the day of their death to go down as their feast day. I'm going to be talking a lot about all sorts of things over the course of this podcast, but I won't be going into feast days much. They're easy to look up, and can be tricky to explain accurately, considering they can vary across traditions, or even within traditions in different geographical places, or as practices vary over time, and they can get bumped in certain years by other more significant dates, and I'd want to call out if they're based on something other than their date of death, all of which would be interesting if you were interested in feast days, but extremely dry if you weren't. Really, there's plenty of material in feast days for their own podcast, and if anyone wants to take that on or has one to recommend, I'll be happy to edit this to include a plug for that show. But in the meantime, no, 
I will not be focusing on feast days. They're too easily findable elsewhere, and too derailing for our already very fragilely railed narrative. I'll simply be doing darn near everything else. Now, we've talked a lot about two out of the seven deacons. Can extra-biblical tradition tell us more about the others? Yes, of course. But I'm not going to go into every detail various traditions have about everyone. Believe it or not, I didn't even do that for Philip. The high-level takeaways are that four out of five of the remaining deacons were martyred, and the fifth, Nicholas, well, he was actually suspected of being a heretic by two early big names in the church, Saints Irenaeus and Hippolytus, both of whom we'll get to in time. You see, in Revelations 2, God, or, uh, well, probably God? Revelations is a trip. Anyways, in Revelations 2, God makes it clear that he really doesn't like the Nicolaitans, whoever that is. It does seem that they were a heretical Christian sect early enough to make it into the actual Bible. But that, and the apparent name of their founder, is basically all we have on them from the Bible. Outside the Bible, like I mentioned, Nicholas the deacon is very much a suspect, and it probably doesn't help his case that his name not only matches the perp, but he was also named last among the seven, the same place of dubious honor Judas Iscariot once held among the twelve. That's all for today. We're going to talk more about two characters we've discussed recently, multiple times in due course, and we'll save them for those times. After all, Simeon Bacchus the eunuch traditionally founded a national church whose impact on Christian history is as extensive as it is unique. And St. Paul is, well, St. Paul. Similarly, I'll find other appropriate occasions to discuss the later lives and deaths of the apostles we haven't already covered, in addition to letting Pontifacts take the lead on that. They have a series coming up. It will be exciting in a few months. And Cornelius, for his part, well, he actually has surprisingly little to review. He traditionally wound up as a bishop, and that's about it. Which I make sound like nothing, but it would have been a sign of his new life in Christ, just as it was for everyone else who wound up in leadership in the new Christian church. It certainly isn't nothing. Anyways, I believe that basically leaves us with Simon Magus, which is perfect. In our next narrative episode, we'll follow him to Rome, and as you might have guessed, Rome is going to be our home base for the next 2,000 or so years of narrative. Thank you for listening. God bless you all.